Hello and welcome to Theology-ish, a podcast dedicated to all things pertaining to theology, biblical studies, philosophy, uh, church history, literature, and whatever else we can shoehorn in there. I am one of your hosts, William Berry. With me today, as always, is my co-host, Ryan Kelly. Why don't you say hello, Ryan? Hello, Ryan. It's a, uh, it's a pleasure to speak with you. That's that's really what you're going to go with, huh? It, it was. Okay. I'm regretting it already. You should. That was, <laughs> that was shameful. <laughs> um. Yeah, so welcome to uh, this. Uh, thank you for joining us. If this is your first time with us. Well, go back and listen to the first one. If, if You're you, not that far off. Yeah, yeah. You can get caught up on the entire thing. and You can listen to approximately 2,000 years of church history in about an hour. Yeah, it, it's pretty uh pretty good pretty good stuff anyway uh today we are not doing that today we have a specific topic that we're going to be topicking about yes uh, um what, and, what is our our topic today ryan well our topic today is baptism um and this is something that i think is going to be important to talk about early going into this uh this podcast as we make our maiden voyage, as it were, um, in that a lot of the stuff we are going to be talking about, a lot of the literature we are going to be covering, um, and a lot of the topics we are going to discuss, more times than not, I want to say, are going to in some way connect to or otherwise relate to baptism in some fashion. A lot of the literature we're going to read is going to talk about baptism. It's going to mention baptism. It's going to discuss the ways it should be done. It shouldn't be done, why it's important. Um, And a lot of the other more broad topics, perhaps, that we're going to cover um, are more likely than not in one way or another going to lead back to baptism in some fashion. It's almost like it's a central thing within the Christian confession Almost. It's almost like it's important. Almost. (laughs) Almost. It's almost as though. Yeah, I guess I already I already made that joke. It's almost as though it's important because it is important. So that's why we will be talking about it. So, yes. And uh, from from this episode onward, uh, the. Hope is that episodes are going to be a bit more structured and condensed than our opening, uh, opening episode. More focused, yes, a lot more focused in discussion and what in particular is being discussed. Um, so baptism. Um, I've got a a list of notes here um, with some general questions, some references and stuff, some specific things to talk about, um, and we'll kind of see where conversation leads. Um, I guess the big number one thing is what is baptism? A transliteration of a Greek word. Next question. That was a good answer. (laughs) I'm pretty satisfied with that, actually. Um, Let's let's dig a little deeper. According to my uh, Greek professor at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, um, baptism means something like dunking or plunging. so he would refer to John the Baptist as John the Plunger. 
he thought it was really funny. <laughs> that uh, is really funny. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Um, I've also heard it translated something more like washing or okay. so- something along those lines. Um, what say you, Ryan? Well, I think that um, as we're probably going to find by the end of this episode, and as we will thoroughly discuss, hopefully, baptism is, depending on who you ask, and we're going to get into this uh, here in just a little bit, depending on who you ask, is either a symbolism reflecting Christ's sacrifice, his death and subsequent resurrection, um, and his, his salvation that he brings to us in doing so, um, or again, depending on who you ask, perhaps it is a rite of passage, almost a necessary part of salvation and something that is not optional in order to attain that salvation, um, which we could talk about for a long time. Um, and we certainly will talk about that here briefly. Um, but it is traditionally the act of either submersing someone into a body of water in the name of Christ um, so that they may profess their faith amongst the people around them and and give their life to Christ in, in some sense, um, or perhaps in some fashions, uh, sprinkling of water or, you know, triple dunking. There are various forms that we'll, we'll talk about here briefly, but it is a Christian tradition in which people profess their faith in Christ um, amongst believers around them or perhaps amongst non-believers as well um, who may be on looking. Um, and for the record, we are both Protestants. Um, so we're going to be coming at this from a relatively Protestant perspective. Um, that said, my wife accuses me of being Catholic. It's true. She does. Um, I'm, I'm not, but I, I do have a lot of thoughts about things that uh, are Catholic-ish, and, and in in the sense that I I take my faith very seriously and taking it very seriously sometimes means that I say things that might sound a little bit Catholic. So um, this should be a fun little conversation um, because I am going to take the position. I mean, we're not setting this up as a debate. No, but, not at all. Um, my position is that baptism as a sacrament does in fact confer grace, which is a very Catholic thing for a Protestant it to is. say. Um, but that, as far as I can tell, seems to be the Christian confession from jump, right? Yeah. Um, and as we talked about in our last episode, I, I spend a lot of time reading patristic literature. So the first 500 years of, of church history, I spend a lot of time reading that kind of stuff and that kind of stuff unanimously uh, views baptism as, they, they take it for granted as a thing that confers grace and a thing that is required of the Christian and maybe that makes me a bad Protestant. I don't, I don't know. What, what say you? I, you know, that's, that's, that's a good question and a great segue to start getting into the conversation. Right, let, let's get into it. Let's do it. So let's, let's really dig into this. Let's so I'm going to defer to you for this first bit, actually. 
okay. which is the history of baptism. Ah, uh, yes. You're you're a bit more inclined towards understanding Christian history than myself. You've spent a lot more time studying it than I have and reading it, frankly. Um, we see baptism in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. Jesus himself mm -hmm. is baptized, and this is a pretty big moment for a lot of people in in the importance of baptism, right? Mm -hmm. Jesus says, not only should you be baptized, it's so important to me that I'm going to walk however many miles it was. It was a long distance just to do it. And whether or not baptism confers grace, if there's one person who didn't need it, it was Jesus and he still did it. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that uh, speaks to something. There is a... I think the best word for it is a mystery about why Christ was baptized. And there are different ways that different theologians in different epochs of church history have approached that question. Um, sometimes they're like, oh, it's an example. Sometimes it's, oh, he's prefiguring his death and resurrection through baptism. Um, I've come across, I forget where I've read or heard this. I, I don't remember where. Um, and I think this is technically, I, I know this is technically a heresy, um, but somewhere I came upon the idea that Jesus was baptized because he himself had original sin. Uh, and be, because mm. as a human, he would, have it if all humans are born into are born sin into original sin yeah. right so he had to uh, that was from something more uh contemporary yeah um some uh person who was well-meaning and didn't intend to do a heresy but they kind of did one and they were like oh he was baptized to get rid of the original sin well I don't, I, I don't, I don't know about that I don't know about Jesus yeah. having original and, sin you know, know something you hear a lot today um in the 2020s now um and over the last various previous years you you hear a lot the idea that jesus was baptized simply to set an example right it was to show us i'm doing this so that you also know that you should do it too right which is not necessarily a bad approach to take i don't think there's jesus did a lot of stuff he didn't necessarily have to for the oh, for the sake of he? for the sake of explaining it to us, to showing it to us, yeah. right? Um, I so I don't know the answer to the question of why Jesus was baptized, right? Yeah. Um, I've I've had someone ask me that before. Why was Jesus baptized? And I kind of looked at them and I went, "Well, he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness." which is what he tells John. Um, and they didn't like that answer very much. They, they thought I was trying to, to cop out. And I was. You were, I yeah. I don't know the answer. So the best I can do is give you yeah. what Jesus says, which is he's getting baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Whatever that means. Whatever that means. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so we, we could talk all day no idea. about that specifically. We, we could spend so much time on that. <laughs> um, but for the sake of conversation and moving on to other things, we're going to move past that and look at the history of baptism outside of Jesus. Following Jesus' baptism, you see baptism as a pretty large role in Christian history in one form or another. Um 
following Christ in in the knowledge that you have, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. what does that look like? How does that change over the the centuries? Where does that leave us now in the way that it's viewed and practiced? What is the, I mean it this time, brief, brief history of baptism following Christ? As far as we can tell, and by we, I mean those who are interested in the history of the church, baptism was a present thing from the beginning. Um, we don't have many, if any, first century documents about the practices and teachings of the church that are not part of the New Testament. That said, what the New Testament says about baptism is our best source on what the earliest Christians thought and did regarding baptism, right? Which is to say that they were baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Um, In the Greek, it's really interesting. In the baptismal confession in Matthew, um, if you look at it, it is... And, and th- this is present in English too, but in English you don't really notice it. It jumps out a lot more in the Greek. It is one name. It's this, Jesus says to baptize in the name singular of the Father, Son, and Spirit. He's saying the Father, Son, and Spirit have one common name between them, which is a very strong Trinitarian confession. That is, that's extremely Trinitarian. Yeah, yeah it, it's the Trinitarian confession, which is, makes sense. Yeah. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's very clearly that way in the Greek and not in the names of, so that's present from the beginning. Um, the Didache, which we'll talk, we're going to talk about in a little bit, actually later. Uh, that's got a couple different ways that are, um, acceptable for baptism to happen. Um, and as you read it, it's clear that there are practical concessions. So there's like, they're, they're not like inferior ways of doing baptism. It's like, yeah, do it how, whatever resources you have to do the baptism. However you can do however it. However you can do, do it, it. Do it. Yeah. Which is, you know, the overarching medicine, the over arching message of the Didache is kind of whatever you can do, do it. it. (laughs) Here's the best way, but whatever you got, I'm sure we'll dedicate an entire episode to the Didache here. Um, sometime in the future, it's good stuff. It's Um, very good stuff, but so after baptism is becomes a thing within the church and you know, baptismal rites were already present in certain Jewish sects, Sects, not sexes. Yeah, I, I sects. wouldn't say that like that. S <laughs> e c t sects, sects. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, make that real clear. Jewish groups already had <laughs> uh, baptism present as a thing that they would do. Um, in I think it's the Essenes. Anyway, we're not talking about that, so we're just going to breeze over the the Jewishness of baptism um, and just truck on along into the church history after baptism becomes the way that Christians do things. It, it just stays the way that Christians do things. And we do it very, very similar for a very, very long time. If not exactly the same for a very, very long time, 
the Christian confession regarding baptism as a sacrament, that is to say that it confers grace, that is to say that it um, does something to us in order to make us more right with God, is taken for granted for a very long time. It isn't until Ulrich Zwingli in the early 16th century, so that's like 1520-something, I think, he starts suggesting that the sacraments are symbolic, right? He doesn't think that the Eucharist or that baptism or that confession or that being introduced into a religious order or ordained as a priest or marriage or any, he doesn't think that they confer anything on the soul. Yeah, and that had a major impact on the church ever since, even to today. Um, yeah. That was that was a big moment for, for the modern church, as it were. And for those interested, if you haven't listened to the first episode, we do talk about that a bit. Yeah, um, um, the tradition that I come from as the Church of God that is um, how they understand baptism is that it is symbolic, right? It is quote unquote, every time they do a, a baptism, they'd say something similar to like, this is just like you publicly confessing in the open what you've decided in private and you're just showing as a symbol that you, you are into Jesus, Right, that that's kind of how they put it, um, and they have Zwingli to think for that. Um, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I I think it should cause us a little bit of discomfort that it took about fifteen hundred years before any Christian with any amount of influence was like, yeah, I think this is just a symbol. Like that, that should make us stop and stroke our chin a little bit. Yeah. I mean, how often do we see far more modern, even by these standards, you know, people who, who make these claims about the faith or about religion at large or about the world. And most people are pretty quick to brush it off, you know, shrug them off because, oh, well, we've been doing this for 2000 years. What do you know? Right. It's not an uncommon thing amongst the church for that to happen. Yeah, and like it I'm I'm not suggesting that just because something is an opinion is younger it's automatically wrong, but there is a certain degree of um I think haughtiness is the best word for it. It's a good word. Yeah, there's a level of haughtiness to be like yeah, all the Christians before 1520-something when Zwingli figured it out were idiots. It's just a symbol, bro. That's like, eh, I don't know. I don't know if I'm comfortable brushing off 1,500 years worth of uh, intellectual history. Yeah. Just because one dude who really liked Luther decided that the Catholics were wrong. Yeah. Maybe we should be a little more careful with this. Yeah. So Zwingli does his thing. Yep. He, he suggests this and... And then from then on to, to this day, we've now got kind of two different groups of thinkers in the modern church. Those yes. who think that it's purely symbolic. Right. And those that don't. Right. And the Catholics, the Orthodox, um, Lutherans, and I believe Lutherans, Anglicans, and I believe Presbyterians all hold to it actually doing something. The yeah. liturgical churches. Yeah. 
um, churches with like high theology. I might be off about the Presbyterians. Um, I'm not a Presbyterian. I don't know. Uh, shoot us an email and yeah. us at, uh, leave a comment, whatever. Yeah. The, the email is theology ish at gmail.com. <laughs> no, there's no hyphen in no email, hyphen, I just theology ish yeah. at gmail.com. Yeah. Send us an email. If I'm wrong about that and you're Presbyterian and you're like, no, we don't, we think it's baptism. It's just symbolic. Let me know. Um, <laughs> We don't want to. We don't want to start another crusade or something. Yeah. If we're wrong, tell us. Just let me know. Um, <laughs> I will eat crow. But then we have Baptists and all the denominations that jump out of the Baptist movement. So Mennonites, Anabaptists, Southern Baptists, uh, Methodists, Church of God. Uh, well, no, Methodists. They're also that baptism actually does something. Um, but basically most Christian churches now are more or less like vaguely non-denominational. I feel like, especially the ones that have like yeah, a and lot of attendance. Absolutely. I mean, this is just our experience, um, in our backgrounds and our church histories. Um, most of the churches that I am familiar with and have grown up around are vaguely non-denominational, I mentioned in the last episode, I grew up in a non-denominational church, so it wasn't affiliated with any convention or specific group necessarily. Um, it was probably the most Baptist non-denominational church you could have found that wasn't affiliated with a Baptist convention of any kind. Um, these days, I find out actually they're uh, leaning more Presbyterian, interestingly. Oh, really? Yeah, which is Presbyterian different. Presbyterian or United Presbyterian? I'm not 100% sure. I kind of heard that that's through the grapevine. That's a big deal. But that's, that matters. Most churches that I'm familiar with are vaguely non-denominational. And amongst those, most of those vaguely non-denominational churches are vaguely Baptist. Yeah, like the, the vaguely Baptist non-denominational church tends to be the one that has like Super Bowl Sunday parties. And, oh man, we did a lot of those yeah, at my church. And yeah, worship pastor, he doesn't wear shoes and he's got a man bun and he's real cool. Heck you know? yeah. And like those are the ones that people attend in mass and those are the ones that have the most cultural influence. And those are the ones that are like, baptism's just like a symbol, bro. It's cool. Just like- Looking at you, Hillsong. Just like, let's go for a swim, man. <laughs> and that that's, uh, that's kind of a 15-minute summary on the history of baptism because I am long-winded. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's good. Yeah. So that, that kind of does lead us into sort of the next question, though, which is, does baptism- do something? Is it just yes. symbolic? No. Well, moving on. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I've got some references I want to pull out for this specifically. Um, I, I've got a, a quote yeah. from Eusebius. Please do. Baptism. Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to save that for a little bit later. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I, remind me, I don't, yeah. don't want to forget this bit. Yeah, Eusebius we can maybe save that till the end. Um, yeah. Something like that. But there are some specific... Bible references I wanted to pull yeah, up. Yeah, let's, let's that, uh, go to Holy Scripture. Yeah, I've got six references here I wanted to specifically look at and discuss a little bit um, pertaining to whether or not baptism is purely symbolic and the necessity that that it holds. Um, so 
I will go ahead and read off this first one here, and then we're going to kind of flip-flop between these. Um, So this first one I've got here comes from Matthew chapter 18, verse 19. I could pull up the right verse. There we go. So Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, as read through an NRSV translation Bible. Now, I think everyone is pretty familiar, um, those of us in the faith at least, with this final chapter within Matthew that is the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Yeah, it's something that the church really likes to talk about uh, today. kind of a big deal. Yeah, so important. So with this specific bit, um, that, that mentions baptism. The, the question I want to pose is it, this is the great commission. This is not just saying, Oh, you should do this. You could do this. It's not a big deal. You know, this is pretty straightforward and direct saying, do this. It is your duty and your responsibility as a man or woman of the faith to do this. So the first question I kind of wanted to pose here is, is baptism necessary? Because that's a big question in today. Yes. And that's interesting because that's, that's a bit of a hot take depending on who well, you talk to. That's, mean, that's a big question in the modern church of whether or not baptism is necessary for salvation. Yeah, and like it, it, comes back, it brings us back to Zwingli, right? Because if it is symbolic, then it doesn't really matter, right? Because symbolic stuff doesn't it's it's just a symbol right like i wear a wedding ring and that is a symbol that i am married but if i remove the wedding ring i am still married right there is a fear of engaging with metaphysics that pushes us in, it is yeah it's like i i don't i don't want to deal with like ontology or like metaphysics or the way that things be at bedrock that makes us go well what's it do well it doesn't do anything it's a symbol well why doesn't it do anything well because i can't explain how it does something because i can't talk about things like ontology and metaphysics so it yeah and you know, I, I'm I'm not trying to like bag on people who view it that way. Uh, if you view it as a symbol, I, I you can still have an efficacious baptism while only viewing it as a symbol. But your view on baptism, if you only view it as a symbol, is an anemic one. Yeah. So uh, so you you hold the idea that symbolism holds little to no value in in this context. It, it holds value, but okay. sim- symbols, a symbol ought to represent a deeper reality. Right? Okay, yeah. Um, and when we make, I, I, don't, I don't think that we should view baptism as a symbol of a deeper reality. I think it is part of the deeper reality. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of like the idea of wearing a cross on your neck, right? Or keeping keeping a cross on your wall. The cross in many modern contexts is a symbol to the modern Christian. 
It is a symbol that we use to, sure, remind ourselves of Christ's sacrifice and what that means. Um, but does that symbol hold any inherent or intrinsical value or power? Right. So, like, um, the icons of the Orthodox East and the Catholic West, where they have, like, pictures of saints and stuff, um, the icon picture of Mary or whatever other saint is supposed to orientate your mind and soul to the spiritual reality beyond the picture that you're looking at, right? So even though it is a symbol, there's something bigger than the symbol beyond it that you're supposed to get to through the symbol, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. And, and the Zwinglian take on baptism, where it's just a symbol, puts a wall behind baptism, where you yeah. have a symbol and there's no ontology beyond that symbol to get to. There's no uh, conference of grace or um, coming from a, a Pentecostal background. There, there's no like... Uh, pneumatology there where through baptism you're you get access to the baptism of the holy spirit right um which is what my in in part what my tradition teaches um even though there's some incongruency there with it being only symbolic and also making the spirit accessible to you but you know the church of god isn't uh, renowned for their philosophical vigor no um <laughs> Um, yeah, so I, I, I think that viewing baptism as symbolic is probably sufficient for most people, but it's wrong. Okay. Yeah. If, and well, lucky for you, we've got five more verses to go through here to uh, talk about exactly that. Um, yeah. we're going to kind of try and truck along here through these for the sake of time. Yeah, how are we um, doing on time? I feel like it's been about 30 minutes already. It's been exactly 30 minutes. Oh, yeah. Like on the dot. My internal clock is so good. So if you want to go ahead and read our next verse out of Mark. Mark chapter 16, verses 16? Yeah. Yep. Yep. This is Jesus talking. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned is the is baptized implied there or hmm. and that's exactly what i wanted to bring up with this first this is jesus himself speaking right so this is pretty infallible and what he's saying is those who believe and are baptized will receive grace those who do not believe but he right. doesn't say and are not baptized and are not baptized but, yeah but you have to believe as a prerequisite to reception of baptism right so if you don't believe, then you will not receive baptism, right? That makes sense. Yeah. So uh, that, but again, that th this is the long ending of Mark. There's some yes. scholarship that suggests that perhaps uh, verses nine through twenty might should uh, not be there, mm. or or at least a later edition. Yeah. The later edition doesn't mean that it's illegitimate. Wrong. But that that that. It, that is something to point out. Okay. And well, I'm pointing that out as someone who's on board with it being there. Yeah. Just well, throwing that out there. We, we flew through that one pretty quick, actually. Yeah. yeah. All right. Your turn. So this next verse comes out of John chapter three, 
verses four through seven. This is uh, Nicodemus visiting Jesus. Ah, yes. yes. So, Old Nicky boy. Starting in verse four, Nicodemus said to him, how can anyone be born after having growing old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said this to you. You must be born from above. So there's that little, there's that little bit in there where he says, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. So this would perhaps imply the necessity of baptism for salvation. It's one way to read it. It could also be the water of the womb. So that's another way that I've encountered people reading that passage. Um, I, so Jesus saying you have to be born like, you know, actually, and then you also have to uh, receive being reborn through the spirit. I I don't necessarily think that that's the best way to read that. Um, John is, I I would say it's fair to say he's a fan of baptism. Um, So I I, I don't think we're out of line in reading baptism into that. Um, Yeah. So it's all right. Yeah. Thoughts on thoughts. Indeed. Thoughts on that thoughts and prayers. Amen. 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 Uh, anything else you want to say about? No, I mean that that one I feel like is, is pretty straightforward. I mean, I guess, yeah, there are kind of two ways to read that. And if you read it the one way, well, Jesus said it. So yeah, there you go. Good luck arguing with that. So far that's, uh, three for three that Jesus have said it, it does. Yeah, it is. So, you know, that's take that zwangly zwangly <laughs> zwangla nights. All right. So, uh, our next one, it comes from Romans chapter. Help me out here. Six chapter verse six, 24, verse 24. Okay. Oh, sorry. Verses three and four. Three I, and I misread four. that. Okay. Yes. You need glasses, bro. I do need glasses. All right. Paul writes, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ, who was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So just to play uh, devil's advocate a little bit, which I don't recommend doing. Uh, just as a pretense to this. For argument's sake, one could read that as symbolic, right? You you could look at that and say he's he's speaking symbolically. He's not literally saying that we're baptized into his death so that we may, we may be resurrected in him, but symbolically. What, what say you to that? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, like, if you choose to, you could choose to read all of these symbolically, but it would be a choice to read them symbolically. And I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to argue you off that ledge. Um, but 
the idea it's like Jesus dies, right? He gets super dead, as dead as anything has ever been dead, right? And then he goes down and then he comes back up. And it, whether or not we're talking about baptism symbolically or talking about it as actually doing something. In the process of baptism, we go down, and the idea is that we are going into the grave with Christ, that we find that language all over um, the writings of the church throughout its history. Um, they're echoing Paul, of course, but it the church reads Paul, and they go, yep, that sounds about right. So they go down into death, and then they come back up and are raised into the new life, the new man. Um which as a symbol is cool and as an actual doing something is that's even cooler even cooler yeah. it's like oh that's really cool cuz it it it's only a symbol if it represents a deeper reality if it doesn't represent a deeper reality it's not really a symbol it's just you doing a thing mm. right yeah that, that's what i was trying to get at earlier with my talk about ontology and metaphysics and stuff cuz if you can't talk about those things. What does baptism do? Well, I don't know. Something. Something. It's a symbol, I guess. Yeah. Okay, but what what is it a symbol of? So, I, yeah, I guess uh, on some level, I'm arguing that even those who think baptism is own is a symbol, they still think it does something. They yeah. Just can't articulate what. Yeah. Because they don't like the way. If they were to say it confers a grace, that sounds really Catholic. It does. And then you get into like. Well, then I have to do something, to, and isn't it supposed to be just free grace, bro? Isn't it just supposed to, like, doesn't God owe me free grace where he just, like, gives don't it I, to me? Did, aren't I owed that? Yeah. Why do I have to do something, yeah. man? That's lame. And yeah. my answer to that is, no. Fine, I guess. Like, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Moving on. We've got two more verses left. We're going to try and truck through these here. All right. Um, this next one comes out of first Peter chapter three and it is verse 21. And now baptism, which this prefigured now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And I'll just read 22, actually, because it cuts off mid-sentence there. Who has given into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers made subject to him. So just reading that at face value, right, without having to dig too deep, it, it says right there, it is baptism that now saves you. It is not your confession in Christ. It's not you following Jesus and wanting to do his will. It's, it's the baptism that this would imply gives you salvation, which is not a particularly popular way to look at it these days. Um, yeah. What do you, what do you have to say about that? Um, if, if we can just back up a little bit further. Yeah. Um, because he says baptism corresponds with this. It's important for us to see what it's corresponding to, right? Um, so I'm going to start at verse 18 and go down. So this is First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, 
the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, putting, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey him, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. Baptism, which corresponds with this, which is the water of the flood, right, now saves you, not as a removal for, of dirt from your body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So um, it's not that it isn't Jesus that saves us, right? It is through, like, in uh, other patristic writings, you will find... Th- that patristics consistently compare Jesus to the ark, right? Because he is the door and the gate and whatnot, and it is through the water that you get saved and so on and so forth. So um, I, I don't think that Peter is saying it's water that saves us. It is Christ who has us get into the water. Mm, okay. Uh, and yeah. like, um, there's that story in the Old Testament. I think it's when, I forget who it is, but it, a fellow goes to Elisha and he's got leprosy and Elisha tells him to go and wash in the Jordan seven times and then he'll be cured of his leprosy, right? And he's like, I'm not doing that. That's dumb. But then one of his servants is like, well, if he told you to do something hard, wouldn't you do it, right? And in this paper, I will argue that this is a prefiguring of baptism. So like the idea that dunking in the water is a means of us being made right with God that's like, oh, that's stupid. It's just symbolic because that's stupid. Well, if it was something hard, would you do it? Right? If the thing mm. that you had to do to be made right with God was hard, mm. would you be trying to find a way to weasel out of it? That's, or would you just submit to the hard thing? That's a very good question. Yeah, but it's not a hard thing that we're asked to do. No. You're asked to go and get dunked. Yeah. Yeah. You're supposed to go get plunged. Go get plunged. Quit. quit. Yeah. So like that, that is just Interesting. a thing to think about. Okay. That maybe all of this uh, quibbling about what baptism does is beside the point and we ought to just go do it. Mm. Go, go get baptized. Well. Before we draw any conclusions, we've got one last verse to look at. It's true. It's Acts chapter 2, verse 38. Um, And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, This is, once again, pretty pretty clearly a, a command, right? This is a... If you want to be saved, you have to do this. This is not an optional part of being a a Christian, right? Um, and it's easy. And it's easy. And I mean, all that to say, just looking at these six verses, and there are 
numerous other verses oh, yeah. that talk about baptism. Plenty. For the sake Plenty of time, of I kept it condensed to those six. Just looking... Somehow we managed to... <laughs> managed to talk on and on about Yeah, but just looking at those six, they were all pretty unanimously in, I feel like, agreement that baptism not only does something, but is necessary. Yeah. And... I mean, it's 0 for 6 as far as I'm concerned on that front, you know? Yeah. Um, and, you know, my claim that Zwingli is the first, uh, there might be some fellow out there who's aware of a quote by some dude, and that's all well and good. I would email us at theologyish at gmail.com. And it's I, a good place to do that. Yeah. And, or in the comments. Yeah, or in the comments. But l- let me know that I'm wrong. But find me one guy... Find me one verse where it's like, yep, baptism doesn't, it's cool, doesn't really do anything, but you know, if you want to, find me one. And I will admit that I am wrong so fast if you find me one. But there is one stipulation. They have to be uh, orthodox in the sense that not a heretic. If you find something written by, like, I don't know, Arius or something well you can kiss my behind because i i I don't care about what heretics say yeah okay well i i think we've pretty clearly laid out there that baptism probably does something right probably Um, we can we can talk more here in a bit perhaps about what that something may be how are we on time about 45 minutes 47, 47. Um, but oh. we've got a little shaving okay. yeah. we can do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I want to move on though to, does it matter how one is baptized? Oh, so like those babies who were baptized during the pandemic who got squirted with water guns, do they Ex- count? Exactly. And, and, you know, we have in the world of, of the modern church where we have however many various denominations that do things very differently from each like other. 40,000 something. Yeah. Um, there are numerous methods of baptism that are still today used. Um, and many historically as well that we've seen in various places. Um, so the question becomes, does it matter how you are baptized or rather is it simply important that you are baptized? Um, no and yes. Yeah, and I want to take a look at the Didache, um, which for those of you perhaps not familiar, is a patristic period literature that is available today in the public domain. Um, it is by some presumed to be uh, to have been written by the Twelve. Um, it's a super short read. It's like 20 pages or something like oh, that. Le- less than that. Yeah, it's very short. Um, I would highly encourage anyone to go out and read this, though. Um, I mentioned earlier, I can almost guarantee we're going to do an episode dedicated just to this at some point My in the near future. is seven and a half pages. Yeah. Um, we're going to be reading from Maxwell Staniforth's translation. It's the Penguin Classics Early Christian Writings. It's pretty cheap. You can pick it up for about... Oh, 12 to $15. Yeah, and it's got more than 10, I want to say, other patristic period writings yeah, all it, in this one little book. Specifically Apostolic Fathers, so it's the generation directly. With the exception of the uh, the epistle. See, the epistle or uh, Dionetus. Um, 
Um, the epistle to Dionysus. Yes, to Dionysus, which is which apologist, might, well, maybe. Well, it's an apologetic work that might be from the Apostolic Fathers. Yeah. But we don't actually know who that one's by. That's a different question. Uh, aside from that, it's all pretty verifiably from the patristic period. Um, it's all really good. I would highly suggest picking this up. Um, in the Didache, though, there is specifically a section that is dedicated to baptism. Yes. And how one should be baptized. If, if I may say a brief may. word about yes. the Didache. Um, there, there is some tradition that it is the fruits of the so-called Jerusalem Council that we read about in Acts. Um, that might not be the case. Eusebius doesn't think it is, but there, there's definitely some tradition there that this was written by, because the, the, the full title is The Teaching of the Twelve Apostles. Right. And it gets shortened to simply the teaching. The Greek word for that is didache. So that's why it is called that. So it's it's probably pretty pretty dead gong close yeah, and to uh, very authoritative. At one point in early church history as well, this was included in some very early uh canons of the Bible. Was it? Wasn't it? Uh, I I don't think we the didache I thought it was. was. It, it may have been. I, I don't think it we was, though. We can cut this bit out. Well, that's, I mean, that's fine. It's fine. It's uh, fine. I, it is part of the Ethiopian canon. That's true. It is still so today. They, they have a lot of extra stuff in there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I've been interested in reading the Ethiopian Bible and, and seeing what's in there. Uh, just for interest's sake. Yeah, go for it. Um, anyway. Uh, but did- if you would like to read this section from the Didache for us. I feel honored. You should. I, I know this is kind of your thing. You you love this stuff. It's true. It's true. <clears throat> the procedure for baptizing is as follows. After repeating all that has been said, immerse in running water in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. If no running water is available, immerse in ordinary water. This should be cold, if possible. Otherwise, warm. If neither is practicable, then simply pour water three times on the head, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Both baptizer and the baptized ought to fast before the baptism, as well as any others who can do so. But the candidate himself should be told to keep a fast for about a day or two beforehand. So this is interesting stuff because we we see some interesting stuff here that this is pretty clear that they don't much seem to care how you're baptized yeah. necessarily, more so the fact that you do it at all. And there, there's a lot of, uh, especially with Baptists, it's a big freaking deal that you are like dunked all the way and that you don't just get sprinkled. And they're like, Catholics don't count because they just sprinkle or whatever. And the Didache is like, look, man, if you don't have that much water, just like dribble, just dribble a little. It's cool. Yeah, uh, it, it's like, you know, it should be running water. It should be running but cold if, water. Yeah, but if not, regular water's fine. Yeah. If you can't get it cold. Warm is okay. You can do warm, you know, whatever. It's fine, bro. If you can't do that, pour it. Just sprinkle a little. Uh, So this 
of course, is not biblical canon by today's standard, at least. No. Um, so that begs the question, of course, of how seriously we should take this to some extent. Uh, about 90% seriously. Yeah. Be- because this is from more or less the same generation of believers as those who wrote the New Testament. So at the very least, this reflects Christian practice at the time, right? So this might not have been by the apostles, but it very closely reflects the practice of the churches that the apostles established, right? So there might have been a church somewhere over in Antioch that was doing sprinkling and then a church over in, I don't know, uh, Caesarea who was doing dunking and they're like, they, there might've been some quibbling about if those were equally valid. And here we have the Didache like, no, 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 it's, it's cool. Whatever you got. And not only that, it also says that the baptized and the baptizer and whoever else is able, but especially the baptized should fast a day or two before the baptism, which I, I don't know if we have, if there's any denomination that still has people do that, maybe the Orthodox, but I, I don't no, know. And I, I find that interesting because if we do run under the assumption that this is tradition, this is how it should be done. And we ought to take it seriously. Well, it kind of makes you wonder, shoot, should we be doing that? Yes. Well, there you go. <laughs> Simple enough. <laughs> I, I mean, like, Especially for us modern Western Protestant evangelicals who, when we are asked to fast for Lent, we're later like, I'm going to fast like Facebook. I'm going to not, I'm going to fast venti mocha latte. I'm not going to look at like memes so much. And then we break that fast two days in because we can't stay away from our freaking phones. Yeah. Like, the, uh, you need to fast. Like, <laughs> yeah. If you can, if you're not diabetic and it won't freaking kill you, and if you live in America, you could probably stand to lose a couple pounds. Yeah. So it won't kill you. Fast. Yeah. Like, make that a part of your spiritual life that, because and it's not a part of most of our spiritual lives. I'd love to do a whole episode on fasting oh, here um, at some point, and we, we, should. we surely we will, but I, I'm actually... In, in that group of people who probably shouldn't fast dietarily. Yeah, probably um, not. For those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm pretty underweight. I, I'm a skinny dude. I'm a tall dude. He's 6'2 and weighs 110 pounds. Like 127. Okay. I'm, With it's clothes? not that bad. Yeah, but I'm, yeah, I'm so skinny like enough. Pounds. Frankly, I can't afford to lose a lot of weight. Yeah, no. I need to eat and I don't eat enough as it is. So we can talk about this in a whole other episode, but that's do an episode of the theology of gains. That's a good one. That could be fun. That, that is an interesting question of, you know, if you can't fast food, what, what should you fast? But we'll, we'll get into that um, some other time. Um, for the, for the sake of finishing on time here, we're going to move on there. Uh, I will say this, there is a tradition within Christianity that has its roots, all the way back to fasting by simply eating bread and drinking water. Um, and it's not that you're not eating. It's that you're eating very, very simple food. 
Um, so we, you could do something like that where you're still getting your calories, but you're not eating anything that's, yeah, you're, you're not eating Oreos or Cheetos or anything that's fun to eat. Yeah. Um, well, anyway, yeah, moving on. Um, I've just got a couple quick things I want to touch on before we close out here. All right. Touch them thanks. Oh, I'm going to touch them thanks, all right. Oh, please don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> so, what about re- rebaptism, right? I just for argument's sake, mm-hmm, and we can mm-hmm. talk further about this at a later date. Let's run under the assumption that once saved, always saved is not the case. That one can lose their salvation. If that is the case, if somebody is to lose their salvation and regains it at a later point, should they be rebaptized because the first one no longer counts or is no longer sufficient, or is it fine? I don't know. Um, so I was baptized when I was a little kid, like many people are. Um, and you know, I was probably like five or six. I got baptized. Woohoo. Um, then I got older and I more or less apostatized for a while there and then, uh, stopped apostatizing. And then when I came back, I, uh, I, I got baptized cause uh, you know, I was like, well, I, I didn't really even remember my first baptism. So I got it in my head that I don't think that counts at the time. I knew a lot less and had read a lot less. And I, I don't know. I, I decided that was the right move. So I, I did get rebaptized when I was about 18, 19. Um, and the Catholic church has had people killed for doing that. Um, I've got some bad news, William. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, which is not a great look for the Catholics to be sure. No, but historically like that's the Anabaptists. That's what that means is rebaptists because they were rebaptizing people and it created a lot of problems. And then there was some persecution there. Some people got killed. Not a great look, bad, bad times for Christianity. Anyway, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, yeah, may, and- maybe, you know, I personally was baptized when I was about 16 years old um, in my in my youth group um, by my small group leader um, at, at my church growing up. Um, and I have not had that point in my life where I'm like, I don't feel like that first one counted. I, I feel like I need to get rebaptized because either I don't remember it because I do because I was 16 or because I feel like you know, I had a rough patch in my faith and I feel like I should be re-baptized. I've had my ups and downs in my faith as anyone does, but I've never had a point where I feel it's personally necessary to be re-baptized. Um, so I guess I can't really speak from personal experience too much on that matter. Um, but as an outsider looking in almost, I, I almost want to take the stance of, well, I don't think God's going to be upset if you do. Either way, whether or not the first one is no longer valid or you should be, even if even if it doesn't count to be rebaptized a second time and it doesn't matter, I don't think God's going to be upset at you for doing so. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's harmful necessarily. Um, I don't know. Um, 
If you are in a position where you're thinking about getting rebaptized when you've already been baptized, I encourage you to uh, pray about that and perhaps even fast for it if you can do that safely medically. If you can't do that safely medically, then uh, I don't know, fast Instagram or something. Yeah, you don't need that. Yeah, it'll be fine. Um, yeah. I don't know, but it, it is an interesting question um, that we could do an entire episode on. We, we've been, we're only two episodes in and we've been saying that a lot. <laughs> well, there's, there is no shortage of things to talk about. It's um, true. Just to kind of close this out here, I have one last question that I want right. to pose and then we can close out. Okay. Which is all of this to say, why should we care? Why should we care about baptism? Why does it matter? Why as a, a Christian should I, I get baptized. Allow me, if you will, to share a brief quote from Eusebius. I would love that. Where Eusebius, he's a early fourth century historian of the church. So he compiled a lot of stuff. A lot of it we don't have anymore because it's been 1500 years. Um, But because Eusebius quoted things, we still have some of these wonderful resources. So he's quoting a a different author entirely, Dionysius, he's quoting here, who wrote, I resent Novatian for a good reason. Novatian is a, a heretic that Dionysius was writing against. He has split the church seduced brethren into profanity and blasphemy, introduced impious teachings about God and falsely slanders our most merciful Lord Jesus Christ as being merciless. In addition to all of these, he sets holy baptism aside, overturns the faith and confession that precedes it and completely banishes the Holy Spirit when there was some hope of his remaining or even returning. So this guy writing in uh, about the the third century, thinks that, so that this dude is saying some bad stuff about Jesus, and he thinks that it is even worse than saying wrong stuff about Jesus to set baptism aside, because if you follow that very closely, he's suggesting had baptism remained, the Holy Spirit would have remained with those people who were uh, existing within heretical teachings. And had the Holy Spirit remained with them through baptism, there would have been a chance of the church reconciling to itself. But by putting baptism aside, he basically cuts him off himself off from the things of God. Mm. Um, so you should care about baptism because if it is symbolic, then it is symbolic about something. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's something that it is symbolic about is your relationship with God more or less. Um, so get baptized. It doesn't matter if it's running water, still water, cold water, hot water, or if you're squirted with a squirt gun, just freaking do it, man. Go, yeah. g- go get dunked. And I, I think that's kind of the, the big point here to close this out is Get baptized. Get dunked. If you are a 
person who professes their faith in Christ and you have not yet been baptized, we would highly encourage you to do so. Go do it. Do it. I'm not even encouraging you. I'm freaking telling you, man, go get dunked. We don't care how you do it. We don't care where you do it. Just do. I know people that have been baptized in bathtubs in uh, Lee University has a big fountain yeah, out at the yeah, front. Yeah, yeah. I know I was actually there present, witnessed somebody be baptized in the fountain there. Uh, security was present and uh, faithfully turned a blind eye to us uh, as we were not supposed to technically do that. How kind of them. But um, I don't care where you do it. I don't care how. Just Shia LaBeouf, just do it. Yeah, bro. Get baptized. Uh, that's what the Didache says to do. So take take your cues from the Didache, go get baptized. Or uh, if you're not a Christian, don't do that. No, if you are not a person of the faith, we uh, don't get baptized. We would exact, love to talk with you. The exact opposite advice. Yeah, we S- stay out of the water. Would highly encourage you to speak to faithful people in your life. Or uh, if you'd like to reach out personally, theologyish at gmail.com or in the comments below. We would love to discuss that with you and uh, have that conversation. But any closing comments or questions to pose before we close out? Um, no, that's, that's it. All right. That's all I have to say. Get baptized. It does something. Um, perhaps we'll have a future episode titled baptism. What does it do? <laughs> what do it do? Yes. And the answer is something. So anyway, certainly is. thanks for listening. Uh, like and subscribe and yeah. share and all that stuff. It helps follow subscribe, help us in the algorithm so that other people can find us and listen to us talk about this. Yeah. Yeah. You anyway. can find us at theology dash ish on YouTube and Spotify. Um, perhaps elsewhere in the future. Um, follow, subscribe, share, leave a comment, or email us at theologyish at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments to correct us, perhaps. On uh, on YouTube, anyway. You can't comment on Spotify. No, unfortunately. But they've recently introduced ratings, so you could That's give true. us ratings in whatever amount of stars you find appropriate, unless that amount is less than, like, four. Then maybe don't. Then... <laughs> Take your stars and just keep them. Give them to someone else. I don't need just one. Yeah. Like four or five. Unless we (laughs) earned two stars. (laughs) If that's what we deserve, then give it to us, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, We'll take it. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.